Listen and follow the Left Wing Rugby podcast with me, Will Slattery and Luke Fitzgerald. As far as I can see, I always want to get in the Irish team. And that should be every young player's dream and ambition in this country. And if you're playing in a place where you're not going to get the opportunities in the big games, that they're the ones that get you picked. They are the ones, the Champions Cup games are the ones that get you picked. You need to be playing in a team and starting in a team for those games. It's as simple as that if you want to play in the Irish team. Every week on Apple, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. On the latest episode of Real Health with me, Carl Henry, I'm delighted to be joined by international best-selling author Heman Sunim, telling us what to do when things don't go your way. When we are, you know, very young and have a first love and the first love did not work out, we feel as though this is the end of the world. However, we learn that is not the case. We move on. We find some other people. We begin to see that uh, when things don't go your way, uh, maybe it's not the end. As ever, we're available on all podcast platforms. If you like the Indo Daily, you can follow us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Today on the Indo Daily, well, the final witness took the stand last week. So what now in the trial of Jerry the Monk Hutch? In its opening statement, the prosecution said today that David Byrne had been shot dead in an execution-style killing and that Jared Hutch had told a former Sinn Féin councillor that he was involved. A second day of recordings of a bugged conversation between murder-accused Jerry the Monk Hutch and former Sinn Féin councillor Jonathan Dowdall were played in court today. Conversation moved on to the Kinnan organised crime gang. Just over an hour, the three judges of the non-jury court will rule on whether or not former Sinn Féin councillor Jonathan Dowdall can give evidence as a prosecution witness. Now, this follows days of lengthy submissions in the special criminal court. It was dubbed the gangland trial of the century. Over the past 12 weeks, we've had eight days of former Sinn Féin councillor Jonathan Dowdall in the dock, 10 hours of recorded conversations, a jailhouse confession and an analysis of mountains of evidence collated by Gardaí. And then last week, that analysis further poured over during cross-examination as the final witness finishes up on the stand. So what now? I'm Siobhan McGuire and today on the Indo Daily I'm joined by the Irish Independent Special Correspondent Paul Williams to take us back through the week that was in the ongoing non-jury trial and ask what happens next. Well, Paul, it's been an eventful 12 weeks and last week we had our final witness. Can you tell me a little bit about that person? The, the Sarah Sked is a civilian crime and policing analyst and she, at the time of, in 2016, we were told in the Special Criminal Court uh, that she was attached to the Guard of Drugs and Organised Crime Bureau. But she is, basically, she's a civilian, she's one of those super backroom sleuths uh, that goes in, she basically was landed with this mountain of data, phone data. And a phone data spawns a whole other bunch of data, as in locations and where calls were made, all of that kind of stuff, CCTV, data from AAPNR cameras, which are automatic number plate uh, recognition cameras, statements from police, uh, all kinds of stuff. And she takes it all together and she her job was to put it into uh, to a logical uh, chronological and geographical uh, 
order so that it could be understood. And she drew up, for example, maps. She she analysed the telephone, for example, one day in February of just before the, the uh, Regency hotel attack, Jonathan Dowd and his father travelled to Straban in Northern Ireland. She took all the data that the police had harvested and she could put, char- chart out a map of where exactly he was, how long it took him to drive there, based on the calls that were made um, from there and where the what cells, the cell sites they were using um, and what internet connections they were using. And one of the little pieces that came out of that in terms of corroboration for the state's case was that during that trip in February, this was the day that Dowdle had claims that his his father was asked by Patsy Hutch to book a room in the Regency Hotel, which was used then by flat cap Kevin Murray, one of the assassins who has since died. And he gets a call from his wife at one stage, which was her ringing to say about, about this room. And then they ring the Regency Hotel to book the room. So that is kind of kind of information she has dredged up from all of this data, which is could be considered to be corroborative. Of course, her big claim to fame, which uh, a lot of people may not recall, but it was her doing exactly the same kind of job with exactly the same similar kind of type of data that led her to unmask Graham Dwyer for the, in the murder of Elaine O'Hara. It's really fascinating the, the kind of work she is undertaking to do. Has anything started to tally with the amount of Garda evidence that they're finding now? One significant part is is that I said to you earlier about the um, the call being made to book the room in the Regency Hotel. That, that certainly correlates with uh, Dowdle's uh, testimony. Another interesting part of all of this is that Dowdle has claims one of the principal planks of his evidence is that or his allegations are that he met on the, he claimed the Sunday or the Monday, this is very significant, um, after the Regency Hotel attack, he met Jared Hutch by appointment in a uh, park in Whitehall. Now, he claims at that meeting that Jared Hutch admitted to him that he was one of the shooters in who dressed up as a, a member of an guard SWAT team and was responsible for shooting that poor lad, he said, uh, David Byrne. Now, the issue with that is that he's he wasn't he didn't seem to be quite, he seemed to be quite sure but then not sure uh, so he did he knew it was after the Sunday World published a famous front page story where they had the pictures of Flatcap and another member of the gang running away from the the shooting um, but the phone evidence showed he claimed that it was morning time he met uh, Jared Hutch in Whitehall it turns out that the phone evidence has shown that it was actually his phone was pinging in the area of this Whitehall meeting uh, it, in the later afternoon. So the defence are making something about, have been making quite a bit about that, um, that, that this is a major inconsistency, that this never happened, that he's he's telling lies. Um, now, it's interesting to know what kind of per- perception, perception the uh, judges will have of that. Um, we also, um, for example, the, the, the evidence or the, the data analysis also followed the cars driven by Jason Bonney and Paul Murphy. Now, they were, they're the other two co-accused here. Now, they're both accused of facilitating the murder gang by by helping the, the, the hit team. There was six people in the hit team altogether to get away from St. Vincent GA Club after the incident. And uh, Sarah Sked and the other analysts looked at the CCTV and matched... Um, at one stage, uh, Kevin Murray, 
apparently getting into one of these vehicles uh, and also track their movements. And what it does is, I suppose, the best way to describe this kind of technical evidence. Now, there were other guardy involved in all of this, but Sarah Sked was the person who put the, it all together in one big picture and one big map um, that they, it's it's like filling in the, the concrete between the, the blocks. You know, it's solidifying the state's case. It's also very tedious. That's the funny part of it. It, it was very, very tedious evidence, but it's also very fascinating evidence. Yeah, because you're sitting in on all of this. I mean, you were there right up until last Friday listening in and and hearing all of this. And are there reactions around the courtroom to any any of her findings at all? Or are everyone very subdued and not I'm, reacting, I guess? I, I think it, it, the, the, like she, the cross, she's been cross-examination, cross-examined by uh, the defence. They're certainly arguing the toss about uh, particularly uh, lawyers for Jason Bonney and Paul Murphy. By the way, as another significant thing uh, in this is that no phone was ever seized from Jared Hutch. Right. There was no phone associated with him at all. Uh, so all the evidence, the, the, most of the phone evidence that we're hearing now is, you know, when uh, he went up to the north uh, with his father and when he went up to the north with Dowdell for this famous meeting on March the 7th. By the way, significant as well, Siobhan, is that in all of this, uh, no phone was seized from Jared Hutch, you know, so they didn't have an identifiable phone used by Jared Hutch. Um, they did have, for example, the Gardaí did find there were three phones, uh, which were burner phones, and these were all activated and literally obviously used by the killer gang on the day of the Regency. Uh, their movements were tracked and they were also tracked in conjunction with CCTV footage of other vehicles moving around the city is very, very elaborate. It's like, it's like a putting together. It's a piece in a mosaic, uh, basically uh, of evidence. Yeah, like a jigsaw puzzle. Mm. Almost with lots of iggly piggly little pieces that are <laughs> different sizes and, and shapes. Um, but so now we are into the uh, we're now into the final furlong. This yeah. is the finale. And Paul, when we talk about Sarah Skeed. Uh, a Friday saw a huge amount of cross-examination in relation to that very data. Well, so the, the, the feeling at the moment then, Siobhan, is that we're going to have this week, uh, we're going to have the state, the Sean Galan, um, the unflappable uh, senior counsel, who is the chief prosecutor in this case, um, he is going to probably be on his feet for a day doing a closing statement. And what you do in a closing statement is they <clears throat> contextualise the evidence and the state's case. That will be his job to put it all, start from A and work through to Z for the judges to remind them, say, this is our case, this is what we told you, this is the evidence we brought you to, the same way they do to a charge to a jury afterwards. Uh, that will be followed then by the three senior counsel who represent the three other co- the three co-accused, Jared Hutch, whose counsel is the very capable uh, Brendan Graham and Brendan Graham we would expect would be on his feet for a day and then the expectation now by the way these are expectations yeah, yeah. Um, not uh, axiomatic conclusions but they, uh, the next part it, it would be expected that the defence counsel for Jason Bonney and Paul Murphy would perhaps share a day because they wouldn't have as much evidence to go through um, and then it's in the lap of the gods the three judges and they will are expected to retire 
uh, for a period of time and it would be expected and the, the, the speculation is that they would be out for at least a month maybe or it could be two weeks it could be three weeks it could be at least a month they might be even more than longer than that because when the, in the special criminal court one of the characteristics of the judgments in that court is there that the most detailed uh, and most minutely explained documents you will ever read because they they go into every little stray every string or every little shred of evidence and they 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 rationalize how they approach the the evidence uh, how they uh, analyzed it and came to a conclusion uh, it's very very the very very open process so that takes a lot of time uh, and there's been a lot of evidence, you know, 12 weeks of evidence. So they have a lot of stuff to go through. They still have 10 hours, remember, as well. There are 10 hours in the midst of this, which was part, one of the main planks of the state's case, 10 hours of a recorded conversation between Jerry Hutch and Jonathan Dowdell on that famous trip to Northern Ireland on March right. the 7th. And then you have eight days of cross-examination of Jonathan Dowdall, which we everybody was very fascinated with. Yeah, and actually, it, now that you mentioned Dowdall again, um, in relation to last week's uh, evidence, I mean, we heard uh, from Gardaí, you know, that, that Dowdall, the, the star witness, at one point said to a Garda, is there any way out? days after his arrest. That's right. And this was in May 2016. This is very significant. This came up in the, since the, the, the resumption after the Christmas holidays. And that was confirmed that, you know, he was very much had been, I, I, we can only assume this now, but I, and I think it would be a correct assumption. Clearly, he asked uh, a number of guardee when he was arrested, how can we get out of this? What's the witness protection program? So it was very, very, very clear that he was the weak link in the chain of this whole case, that he might be the one who could break it wide open. Because remember as well, if you go back to the evidence before Christmas, that he and his father were asked to obtain a key card and book a room at the Regency Hotel the night before for one of the killers. Now, that was a red flag, and he alleged in court which, you know, with some probably justification that he felt that the Hutches were setting him up uh, for a fall because it was clearly implicating him in this crime. So from the very beginning, the, the most obvious uh, the most obvious piece of evidence, the most the, probably the sloppiest uh, piece of evidence, if it was sloppy uh, and if it wasn't de- uh, predetermined, as Dowdle said, left him wide open. So they come along and lift him in May 2016. Then they, God smiles on them, as the guard would say, and he they, they find he find they find this USB of him carrying out this appalling, disgusting, and despicable torture of a man who he accused of trying to defraud him. And he recorded it, and he got a relative, one of his relatives, to record it on a mobile phone, and he saved it on a USB, and like instantly. You know, you got this sense that you don't like this person. And I, I like one of the colour pieces I wrote for the Indo is that, you know, this guy's a world-class whinger. And he was always moaning and giving out. About, but then again, as the, gar, the old detective will say to you, when you want information about a crim, crime, you don't go to the local parish priest and ask him to testify. You have to go to a, a criminal to testify. Paul, last week we also heard uh, some more about the four shootings. 
there were four shootings that the Gardaí referred to that are still live. Um, one of them is the shooting of Jamie Moore. Jamie Moore was shot in 2014 in Spain. Uh, now, the allegation is, and Jonathan Dowell has already told the court, that, uh, that Patrick Hutch and his brother Gary Hutch uh, were involved in that and that was the attempt to murder Daniel Kinahan but the mistaken identity and the allegation is that they were going to steal 4.5 million euros that were in that was in a bag or a, a case in uh, Daniel Kinahan's home at the time. The other murder which is still technically open I'd say it's technically open I don't believe it is probably fully open because the Spanish have moved on and there's so much gangland crime is the murder of Gary Hutch Jerry Hutch's uh, nephew. Uh, then we have the, the shooting of Patrick Hutch. Now Patrick Hutch uh, was was shot as part of a punishment shooting in 2014. Um, now, that was also referred to by Jonathan Dowdall in his evidence and the, he refused to cooperate with the Gardaí. He was shot. The belief is, and the, the information is, that Daniel Kinahan came back and shot him in the leg uh, because Patrick Hutch was accused of shooting uh, Jamie Moore. And this was a deal that was done. And then, of course, Eddie Hutch, uh, Jerry's brother, who was shot in 48 hours, uh, 72 hours after the Regency attack, uh, he his murder is still very much open. And we heard an awful lot about that uh, murder in the in the recorded conversations between Dowdall and Hutch and um, um, Nettie's funeral. It's well worth mem- remembering, uh, you know, th- there's been a huge amount of public sympathy, it has to be said, for the Hutch family and Gerard Hutch, uh, because, you know, he has lost three nephews, uh, a brother who he's very, very close to. Eddie was his mentor when he was growing up uh, and brought him into the crime business. Not that he probably needed much encouragement. Uh, And also two of his best friends have been murdered. The Kinnahans terrorised and turned, you know, in the neighbourhood, terrorised the neighbourhood where Jerry Hutch grew up and is very, very emotionally close to, attached to, um, you know, and these were good people that he has great respect for. Uh, they 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 forced people with drug habits to try and set up his brother and other people. And luckily enough for for them, there were the, these guys were caught by the Drugs and Organised Crime Bureau. Uh, so there was a lot of sympathy because it was an attempt to wipe out an entire family and their friends. But the other salient fact, and this has been put in context in, in, during this trial, is that in, the, the 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 bare truth is that it was the Hutches who started this feud. And that can't be denied because the shooting of Jamie Moore was the starting point. Uh, And Jonathan Dowdell said this in court. And, you know, that is a fact that Jamie Moore was shot in 2014. That as a result of that, then Patrick Hutch was was the victim of a punishment shooting. That there was a deal done, a bizarre sort of deal done, uh, to protect people and then the, the Daniel Kenhan decided to renege on that deal when they murdered Gary Hutch then you have to remember as well that that was happening in 2014 on New Year's Eve uh, uh, of 2000 they murdered Gary Hutch in 2015 and a few months later on New Year's Eve in 2015 they sent two men to Lanzarote to murder Gerard Hutch which at the time was seen as absolutely Un, totally and utterly unprecedented in gangland history. Just when we're talking about uh, g- graphic footage, that, 
that was also an issue last week where the court heard how Gardaí had taken steps to have footage of the aftermath of the Regency Hotel shooting removed from YouTube. And that footage, I believe, was very, very brutal. Yeah, I've seen that footage. Um, and so everything nowadays, like we we are a surveillance society in the sense that everybody's involved in surveillance. So when anything like this happens, phones are out straight away. People are start filming like you've got. It, and so inevitably, there was going to be a lot of um, footage. Remember as well, uh, when you're talking about footage, uh, our colleagues in the Sunday World and the Irish Independent did a brilliant job that day. They brought the gravity of the Regency Hotel attack to the world. That was one of the Gardaí's darkest days because they should have had their act together to be there when it was being written about in the newspapers all the time there's a feud brewing between the Hutches and the Kinnahans and that Daniel Kinnahan and the whole clique of lieutenants and and uh, associates were going to be in the for this boxing weigh-in. Like, the basic thing any cop would have done in the day is send the squad car around, have a look at those guys, at least be interested in what they were doing. There wasn't as much as a squeak of a guard that day. And I think as well that the reason why the Regency did resonate so deeply with the public is because of our colleagues being there, but also because of the people who take out their mobile phones and started recording this horror. Because there is another video uh, that is still available uh, uh, on you, online where the, the, the weigh-in is taking place and you hear the shots and people start in pandemonium. I mean, the famous uh, sequence in that where a little boy is saying, Daddy, 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 like, you know, terrifying stuff. Um, and that's why it had such a resonance with the public because we saw and witnessed some of the horror. We didn't read about it. It wasn't described to us. We saw it. I'm going to ask you, in your own opinion, this gangland trial of the century, how will it end? Well, it'll end one of two ways. Uh, Jared Hutch uh, will be 60 in April and he will be blowing out the candles on his cake either A, as a free man, probably back in Lanzarote, deciding to continue his life of retirement and comfort in the sun and get away out of here, or B, he'll be serving a life sentence in prison. I think it would be impossible to put money or to try and bet on what the outcome of this case is because it is such a complex and uh, and there's such a humongous amount of evidence and little t- twists and turns in it. The judges have a very, very big task on their hands to go through all of this, but you couldn't even wager a bet on what's going to happen. And my thanks to the Irish Independent special correspondent and indeed author of the Monk book, Paul Williams. I'm Siobhan Maguire and today's episode of the Indo-Daily was produced and researched by myself with sound by Gavin Hennessy, archive clips from RTE and independent.ie. If you enjoy the Indo-Daily, don't forget to like, follow and leave us a review.